Good morning. Glad a few people are here today. Early service, I got one good morning back. It may be the end of spring break for many people, and you know, spring break is to be a time to, uh, to rest and to come back relaxed for our kids and teachers and staffs to be ready to go again at the end, but yet it seems like everybody is really tired at the end of it. Glad you're here with us today. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. And you know, I've been thinking this week that, that when we give, how important it is, and great things are always talked about whenever we give, but you know, sometimes whenever we think about giving, it may just go in the box or go in the tray, and that's kind of as far as it goes, and we don't think much about it, and someone said, what are you giving for? You might say, well, you know, we have the missionaries, or you might think, you know, we have the electric bill, we have salaries, whatever. We'll say things like that, but never really think about it in tangible terms, and and. You may know, I'm sure you do, if you watch the news at all over the last year, you know what has been happening between Ukraine and Russia and that war that is, continues to go on and on and how devastating and terrible that that is. And we are somewhat far removed from that, except that people in Ukraine and those in Russia that don't like what's happening, many of them have left. And they have come to an international city like Houston. And a matter of fact, there is a large group of folks that are living very near us in an apartment complex. And we have people here who are from Russia, who speak Russian. And there's a great outreach happening now, especially through Yulia Merchant, to help those. And I was thinking about literal ways that you are making a difference through your collection, your offering, and this is a Russian Bible. And we have a Russian Bible class. We have a Chinese Bible class as well. But literally, people are learning the Bible. People who have left their countries, in many ways fled their country, are here. And because of your gifts, people are having the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus. Some are continuing the story, and some are hearing it for the first time because of you. Thank you for what, for what you do. That is great that we get to do that. This morning we continue on in our series of Becoming Like Jesus. And this series, we've been in it for the last few weeks. We'll be talking about becoming all year, but for these last few weeks we've really been talking about becoming like him. And I've been kind of revved up, kind of excited. I'll kind of try to bring it down because you're at the end of, sp of spring break, I understand. So thinking about some of those things, about what it's like to be like Jesus are kind of overwhelming sometimes, but I'm guessing that every one of us at some point in life have said, what is my purpose? Why am I here on earth? What am I supposed to do? Often as people get older, they start saying, why am I still here? Is the question they have. Others of you, you are thinking about going to college. You may be in college. You may have gotten a degree and think, I don't want to do this at all, what you got the degree in. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Well, one of the reasons you're here is, obviously, you will hear every preacher in the world say, and it's true, that we are here to glorify God. And so that's what we want to do. We want to glorify God with our lives, with our speech, with our thoughts, with our actions, with everything we do. Glorifying God, obviously, is what it is. And there are some well-known religious groups who say that their main teaching is to glorify God and to enjoy eternity. 
Well, that's also something that we could say. We know that there are problems in this life, and we think about the next life and the importance of eternity, and yes, that's part of it. But my mind goes to another place, and I think about those two great commandments, to, to love God and to love our neighbors. That, that's why we're here, love God and love other people. Jesus said the greatest and the second greatest of commandments, and that would be what it is. And so whenever I started developing this sermon, this is kind of where I was headed in, in what I was thinking and what I was preparing. But then I realized it was a lot deeper than what I thought it was as I was reading the scripture and going from place to place and rather than sometimes you try to make it say something, that wasn't what I was getting. Instead, I was realizing I was needing to kind of move in a different direction to say what well, what the Bible says. And Romans 8 is a really well-known passage of Scripture. You should go home and read it. Read it now. It's important. There's so much in Romans chapter 8. But now we get to this passage that is fairly well-known. The first half is well-known. Not the second half for us, mostly. But this is it, what, what the Apostle Paul said. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then he goes to the second part. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, there is so much to talk about here, and we're not going to talk about all of it. Some of you are going, wow, there are all these words here like foreknew and predestined and what's going on in all this. And we're not going to get into all of that. We might sometimes in sermons, but this is more for our, our Bible classes and small, class, small groups to talk about. But just quickly, this idea of foreknew. You realize that God knows everything, right? And God foreknew, all, God knows all of us. He knew us in our mother's wombs. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. So God knows everybody. It's not like he just knows a few people and doesn't know other people. No, he does. And he wants all of us, we are all predestined to do what's right, to be saved and to follow God. I want you to imagine it like this just very quickly. If you had a child born and you own a company, maybe you own an oil company, and, and that's a good, easy illustration in Houston, right? And so you, when that baby is born and you are so excited and you say, I'm going to give the keys to this company to you, little, little girl or a little guy, whatever, uh, someday these are going to be your keys and you are going to have the key to the front door and I'm not going to sell the company, I am giving you the company. I'm not going to look for other buyers. We're not going to consider somebody that has more talent or less talent, more skill, more education. It is yours. This is yours. And you grow up and you say, wow, that's exciting. But I would rather be a geography teacher than run your oil company. And you decide, and geography is a great thing to go into, and teaching is a great field, and we need more teachers. And you decide, I'm going that way. I don't want that company. I'm not doing that. You were, so to speak, predestined to go down this company route, but you chose another route. And when it comes to a, to a life or to an occupation, that's great. Choose the occupation that fits you. But what God intended was that all people be saved. God intended that every man and woman would confess the name of Jesus, that we would all know Jesus. That's what was intended, what he wanted. But really, I think the purpose of what Paul was trying to say here was, hey, everything is okay. 
God really loves you. He's trying to build us up rather than maybe teach some deep theology here. He's trying to say, hey, you are blessed. God is behind you. God is in front of you. God is with you. God wants you. You see, I am to be conformed to be like Jesus. That is what he says in that second part of that verse and why it was so important to encode it with the first. I am to be conformed to be like Jesus. So my experiences can mold me to be like him. And so the things I go through in life, maybe as, as I go through life, I realize, well, I'm becoming more like Jesus because of what I have. Sometimes whenever, whenever one of you does our, our thoughts at the Lord's Supper, often a man who has little kids will say, you know, just the other day I heard my child praying and my child said, do you know what's happening through that experience? You're hearing Jesus in your child and you also are becoming like Christ as you hear that child's pure, sincere prayer and all at once it touches your heart and you're also changing. And so it's not just by having kids, it's everything we go through. It's by getting a new job, it's by losing a job. Sometimes we realize what it's more like to be like Christ. And maybe it's in marriage and learning some of those things. Even being single, we learn about Christ. Christ was single, right? And maybe all those things are helping conform us to be more like him. All the experiences we have, they're all doing that. I also want you to know with this passage when we talk about when we, when we talk about, as we know, all things work for the good of those that love the Lord, that it's not just about things working out. Now, you know the illustrations. I've used them, you've used them, and, and they're good, and we'll keep using them, about like when you make the cake, and for example, you know, the cake, it has raw eggs in it, and has flour in it, and has sugar and different things, has cocoa in it, and none of those things by themselves are very good, but you put them all together, and you cook them for a long time, and all at once you have something that's really tasty, something that's really good, and all that's true, and we have these bad experiences in life, and that experience with this one, that one's a little sweeter, and this one's a little more bitter, and you have all that together and sure enough good things happen but that's not exactly what this is about that's yeah you can apply it that way but that's not exactly what it's about because of what that second verse is it's about becoming like Jesus through our life experiences it's about in those experiences we become more like Jesus Whenever we lose the job, how do I become more like Jesus like that? When people talk bad things against me, how does that help me become more like Jesus? When my spouse walks out the door, when, when, my, when my fiance says they don't want me around anymore, they leave, how do those things make me like Jesus? How do those things conform me to be like him? You see, all those things are working there and is a lot deeper than maybe what we have ever, we've ever treated it. There's so much more going on. It is not just this personal thing that's happening. There is something deep and big and cosmic that is at work at the same time. And some of you say, well, you know, that's great. All this is kind of theory and I don't really know how, it, how I apply all this. I mean, what are, you, what are you saying? Because I'm not there. You, you're the preacher. You can be there, but I'm not, I'm not where you're talking about. Well, remember that change is a process. And change doesn't happen 
all at once. You know, it'd be great if somebody were baptized into Christ, their sins are forgiven, and now all at once, whoo, now I'm fine. Now I don't have any bad desires. Everything I want is good. I just go around singing glory, hallelujah, and that's all I do all day long, and everything is great. It doesn't work that way. Now, it might have for one person somewhere might be a little bit that way, but for most of us, we are still really struggling with things, and you may have come to Christ 10 years ago, 20, 50, 60, 70 years ago, and you are still struggling with things. You say, well, you just making that up? No, this is all from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Listen to this. We are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see what he's saying here? Oh, this is powerful. He's saying it is over time you become more like Jesus. It's not just all at once. It's over time and you don't stop that process unless you choose to go backwards. We keep becoming more like him. You are being, not you were, you are being transformed to be like Jesus. We do the things to grow, but the Spirit does the transformation. We do all the right things to make it happen, but the Spirit is the one that's going to do it. This year, I, I can tell I'm aging because now I look at flowers and say, aren't those pretty? When I was 20 years old, I didn't know there were flowers. All at once now I notice flowers. So I think I'm getting older. And so out on this back hill behind our house or something, I heard an amen with that. So back on this back hill where there's this creek that runs behind our house, some of you, a lot of you have been there, some of you live in that neighborhood, you know. And anyway, it's just a barren uh, hill, I guess you would call it. And so this year, I decided to plant blue bonnets. And so I studied it all up. Last year, I planted some. We got like three. This year, I studied how to plant blue, blue bonnets. Imagine somebody looking at my phone. I wonder what spiritual things David is thinking about today. Planting blue bonnets. And so I went out there and, and bought the seeds and learned. You're supposed to scratch the seeds, different things, and plant them a certain way. Dug the little holes, grew the, uh, uh, watered them, did the right things. You know what? I did everything exactly right, but then we had to wait to see if they came up. And let me tell you, they did, and they are beautiful. They're wonderful. And so next year, we're going to plant more. But after I do my part, there is nothing else I can do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then the increase comes from God and how God does that through nature. I do all the right things. Now, what would I do to transform? Well, some things I would, want, I would want to worship and come together and be with Christian friends who also want to do the right things, right? All of that would help me. And so I think about it in ways like that. And so I, I would read my Bible, and studying the Bible helps me to do that. I pray to God. I study. I go to a small group. I go, I go to a Bible class. I go to those things. And all those things are helping me. And then without even realizing it, all at once I realize I'm making better decisions than I used to make, and I don't even know why it's happening. And what is happening is we are being transformed to be like Jesus. It is through His Spirit. You remember, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, you remember what has happened. Whenever he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of which you have help in this growing and transformational process 
if we will choose to use that. Now, that's an example, but there's more example than just that. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about love. I talked about the importance of love and what love is like in the Bible. And wow, that was a lot deeper subject than I thought it would be as well. So what does the New Testament say about love? I just want you to see this just as an example of what does the New Testament say about love. Well, the Bible says that we need to love God. We know that. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, with your whole being. Love God. We can say that. Yeah, definitely. Kind of hard to do, a little bit theoretical, but hard to do, right? We love God. Now, here's another thing it says to do. Love our neighbors. And our neighbor, we learn, is not just the person who lives on each side of us, but it's whoever we come into contact with, whoever that is. We love our neighbors. And so that one's a little bit more difficult than loving God, but that's what it says, love our neighbors. Especially if we have neighbors with really loud music, they're more difficult to love, right? And then he says we love one another. That means you love other disciples, you love other Christians, you love people in the, in the congregation, you love people that are Christians, that profess Jesus. And so, okay, that's another one. And then it gets really difficult. He says, love your enemies. Wow, love your enemies. This does not mean that you have to sing kumbaya with your enemies. But we no longer wish ill will for anybody. Even people we really disdain or feel like we want to disdain. This is what he says. Love everybody. The only things we don't love is he says don't love the world. And he says don't love money, which kind of goes into the world as well. We don't love the world and things that are immoral and things that are wrong, that are obviously wrong and then things we learn in the Bible that are wrong that maybe weren't as obvious to us. So some of you know, this last few days, Thursday and through Saturday, <coughs> had a great opportunity with Larry Phillips and Jeff Maddox to go to spring training in Florida and see the Astros, and it was great. And I don't know if you know this, but it is also spring break for every high school or every college student in America, and all 24 million of them were in our hotel. I have a feeling that they might have been loving things of the world while they were there. Let me just say, I don't have a feeling. I saw it with my own eyes, okay? So I know. But what Jesus calls us to is do not love the things of this world. And he talks about what they are. We're going to look at a little list in a minute. But he says, no, I want you to be different. And I don't want you to be controlled by money, and I don't want you to be controlled by sex, and I don't want you to be controlled by power. I don't want any of those things to control you. You are different. You are called to a different plane. And so when we start looking at love, I start thinking, wow, I am so far away from loving the way that Jesus loved and loving the way that God wants me to love. Wow, I am far away. And I have used that phrase that some of you have probably used before. Well, I'm not God, right? You know that phrase? Well, I'm not God, so I'm, you, know, you don't, can't expect me to be perfect. I'm human, you, you know, human sin. And so don't expect me to be perfect. But I'm supposed to love like God. You say, oh, come on, don't say things like that. 
Well, it's not me that said it, okay? I mean, I said it, but it was was said a couple thousand years before me in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse chapter 4 verse 31 through chapter 5 verse 2 this is our hefty challenge i'm sorry i can't control myself but hefty 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 okay this is our hefty challenge get rid of all bitterness get rid of all rage and get rid of all anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind And be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. If he could have stopped right there. But he said, just as Christ forgave you. Now that's tough right there. But he keeps going. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Wow. These are tough words. This is what he's calling us to. This is not a social Christianity. This is not some sweet little thing we do or we put on our resume or we say or we make sure we, we you know, go to church so grandma will be happy. No, this is not what this is about. He is calling us to something really, really deep. A place I'm not completely there. But this is where he calls us to. Follow God's example. You say the father of the son. Yes. The son, the father who gave his son, the son who gave his life. If you know John 3.16, you may not know John 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now here's the second part that often we don't read, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now obviously there there is punishment, and it is wrong to do things that are wrong. And we understand that, that it is not a free-for-all. We've talked about these things in the past weeks. That yes, there are commandments. If you love me, you will do what I command, Jesus says. But understand this, he did not come for the purpose of condemning us. That wasn't what he ever wanted to do. God isn't sitting around trying to thump people on the back of the head. Instead, he came, he sent his son because he loves us and realized, realized how pathetic we are, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we cleaned up our act, but while we were still sinners, Christ died. Not when we were perfect, but when we were a mess. He wants us. And it's not that he's sitting around trying to say, judge us and look bad down on us and and say things about us. It's basketball time. It's tournament time. You know that. And so... So I think about the basketball player. He plays for the Atlanta Hawks, uh, Trey Young, some of you know of. Trey Young went to high school in Norman, Oklahoma, where the University of Oklahoma is. Trey Young was a McDonald's All-American, one of the best players in the country. Matter of fact, he, was, he had 25 scholarships to every, basically to the top 25 he was offered a scholarship. And he averaged 43 points a game. I mean, he was a great high school player. 
But there was a reporter at the Norman newspaper, small newspaper, smaller town, college town, that whenever Trey was in high school, what he decided to do was only write about the things that Trey did wrong. You have one of the best basketball players in the country, and all you do is write about what he does wrong. Is that not in incredible? And so it just went on and on and on, and he had already committed to the University of Oklahoma. His hometown, he's only going to be there a year, and he'd be in the pros, and he'd already committed. And finally, his dad said, look, if this negativity does not stop with this reporter, my son will not go to OU next year. That's it. Tired of it. It is incredible, but that reporter was reassigned after that. There are some people that will find something wrong no matter what. They will complain about it. If I were to go home today and put on Facebook or put on some kind of, of, of lar larger uh, engine than that, I saved four kittens this morning. If you were to read under that, you would find all kinds of people that talked about how bad cats are, right? It does not matter what you say, there will be people that will condemn what you do. When you are condemning what people do and, and just being negative that way, you are not looking like, like God because what God did was not come to condemn the world but to save the world. That's why he sent his son. And Jesus died for people who did bad things to cats. He died for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so, that's what he wants from us. Now, I want you to know this. When you look at all this and you look at love, you look at being transformed to be like Christ and, and, and being conformed to his way and all these things we're talking about today, if you know me, you already know this. If you don't know me and you, I'm just a preacher up here and you think he's probably some hypocrite standing up there talking, I'm not a hypocrite. I admit to you I do things wrong. I do want you to know this. I have not arrived, but I think I'm on the road. I think you're on the road too. I'm not trying to say I'm something special for being on the road. We're all at different places on that road. I'm becoming more like Jesus, but I have not reached that place yet. I want to be there. I'm trying to be there. I'm doing what I know to be there most of the time. Sometimes I don't do what I know I should do. But I want to be better than what I am right now you know when everything's going our way it's really easy other times it becomes extremely difficult use another basketball example for you this morning i've been listening to these classes called master class some of you have downloaded those courses before you can learn anything on these master classes it's well-known people talking about their lives and and whatever they have to teach you can get anybody from a from a politician like a George Bush or a Madeleine Albright or a Hillary Clinton all the way to someone that, that does yoga. I mean, they have them for everything. But I was listening to one by Gino Ariyama. Gino Ariyama is one of the most well-known women's basketball coaches of all time. He was an immigrant to the United States from Italy when he was five, didn't speak English when he came. He's been the coach at the University of Connecticut since 1985. He uh, has... He has coached three gold medal winning women's teams in, in the Olympics. He has been the coach of the, the Naismith coach of the year eight times. He has won 11 national championships at the University of Connecticut in women's basketball. And so in this one that I was listening to that he told this story, he said, you know, I get in the best players in the country. 
They're all McDonald's, all Americans, everybody on our team. We have the very best players. He said, so I recruit these girls from all over. Everybody, uh, almost every girl wants to play at Connecticut because we're, we have such a track record. And he said, so they come in, they play. Here they are. They're amongst all academic, all, all McDonald's, all Americans. And he said, after about two or three months with every one of the freshmen, I called them into my office alone. And I say, so tell me, how are things going? He said, you know what? It's the same story every time. They start crying. He said, they start crying. This, this McDonald's All-American crying there in my office each time. And I say, why are you crying? And the girl will always say, it's so hard. It's so difficult. This is tough. Because back when they played Pee Wee YMCA basketball, they were the best player in the league. And when they were in junior high, they were the best player in the league. And when they were in, college, in high school, they were the best player in the league. And now they are playing on a team with all the best players in their leagues. And it's hard. When everything is going our way, it's just great. You know what? I'm praying, Lord, make all the stoplights green on my way to church because I'm late and I have the, closing, I have the opening prayer. And it is green. You're going, wow, praise God, you're so great to me. And everything is good. And we're all, we're all sometimes in those phases of life where just everything is good. Man, life is good. The kids are great. The job is great. I just love it. And then it's not. Then it's not. We lose the job. The marriage is in the, in the basement kids aren't what we thought they'd be fiance is not with us and everything falls apart here we are we've been going to church and we've been singing all the songs and everything's so good and do you know what god would say to us as we sit in front of him and say it is so hard it's so difficult god says don't give up don't stop keep going Keep going. Don't give up. And it is in those moments and in those experiences that we are conformed to the image of God, that we are transformed to be like God, that we become like Him even more than we were before, but we don't give up. I've told you way too much about my childhood and my dad dying when I was a kid, but I will tell you this a little bit. He was, because we have new folks, he died when I was 12, he got sick when I was 7, he was a preacher, you know, and I have studied death for all my life because of that. And there were thoughts, I mean, I could say, why in the world? I mean, here he is a preacher, he's baptized all kinds of people and did good things in his life and he dies. Whenever I was a teenager, at some point I was reading about Billy the Kid, the outlaw, Billy the Kid, big outlaw in New Mexico. And I read that at a similar time in his life that his, his mother died and Billy the Kid became an outlaw. And I became a preacher. And I couldn't get over the, the, the contrast in that. That when something awful happens, we can either get closer to God or we can get farther away. We choose that. It's put in front of us, good and bad things happen to all people. We determine what we will do with that. Will I be more like Christ, or will, will I walk away? For those of you who are in your good times right now, and things are great, this is what I encourage you to do. 
keep studying, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep serving, keep helping people, keep, st- keep coming together with Christian friends and people with good morals. Keep doing that because when those bad days come, you will be able to withstand much better than if you wait and try to do all that when you're in the pit. So what I ask you to do today is join me on this road of becoming more like Christ. Some of you maybe need to be baptized into Jesus, and that is the step toward Jesus. You believe in him. You'll be baptized into Jesus and have your sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to be a part of his kingdom. Would you do that today? You can come down here, you can talk to me in the foyer afterwards if you want to do it later. Another person was baptized yesterday. There have been, I think, 16 or 17 people baptized this year. That's wonderful. Or maybe you just need prayer. I'm on the road, but I'm stuck. I'm on the road, but I realize I'm going backwards, not forward, and I need help. All these folks will help you. Or you can write us at elders at mcoc.org and they'll help you. But we want to be on this road together. Come as we stand and sing.